Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, coming to us from Colorado after a long stint in the Bay Area and originally coming from Boston, is Mr. Anthony Spazuko. And he is a deeply and profoundly aligned person with scientific principles, but he'll also gladly use pseudoscience like astrology to call himself a Gemini in order to justify himself as a man of dichotomy. Don't stop there. It gets even more complicated. He loves to talk about his accomplishments, but will only discuss his feelings if he's paying someone about $200 an hour, and then his feelings will flow freely. He's as happy writing music as he is developing an experimental design which is what he does as an engineering manager at Monolith Materials, where he's trying to be at the forefront of the energy transition by producing clean hydrogen and carbon black. You might be wondering why I have someone out of my league with intelligence on Coffin Talk. There's two reasons. One, I love to interview people who are brilliant, especially about what their passion is. But two, he is the husband of a previous guest, Lisette, who talked about finding out that her father is or is not her father. It's a complicated story. It's a complicated episode. Please go back and listen if you want to. But uh, with no further delay, Anthony is on the line, and I'm dying to ask him questions about his life, not his wife. So, Anthony, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Uh, I'm really good. And I, I there's so much more of your bio that I didn't read, but it, it cracked me up. It's it is fine. It, once I start going, I just don't stop writing, and I don't even like to talk about myself, but I like to be fun. You don't, and uh, I mean, I know you very well. I I feel comfortable talking to you. You're my friend. I I could text you about BS. Absolutely. I hate your sports teams. You hate mine. It's it's all good. Uh, I very much do. And we both suck this year, so. Yeah, we do. But uh, I do want to start, actually, the part that was the most intriguing to me, because I, uh, I've i only spoken to a therapist a few times, and it's mostly because it's $200 an hour, um, but I liked it a lot. So I am curious, um, do you enjoy therapy? Are you into it? Is it something you do reluctantly? Well, I'll tell you what, this is I'm, I'm new to the waters as well, and I, I finally jumped in, and, you know, I think... I think I spent an entire lifetime pretending that I didn't have emotions like that. That's something that I've now come to accept. Um, and I guess the question was, was why? Why is that what I kind of lean towards? And I think there was always a nice little simple blanket answer of just like, well, I'm from Boston. We're all just tough, we're tough guys, dude guys who don't don't think about their feelings. So I was like, there's got to be something deeper in that. And, you know. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that, oh, yeah, okay, no, childhood does actually impact adulthood. It's not just everybody else. Like, it, you can profoundly impact any human being, and it doesn't matter what their exterior is saying, but their interior was impacted by the experiences that they've been having as specifically children. And that's what I was I, – I don't know why I had this belief that I, I was immune to, you know, the childhood, uh, you know, occurrences. But the reality is, I, I think I think I had a great childhood and I had great parents, which I think unfairly set it up in my head of like, what do I have to complain about? But thinking back now, and it actually helped talking to a therapist for, for the first time, um, you know, my first session, I don't think the therapist said a word. <laughs> like, I just... T- I just talked, I talked for 60 straight minutes. Um, and it was funny because she was like, well, you're, you're very good at talking about your emotions and your feelings. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're just giving me an avenue to do it where I feel safe. Otherwise, I'm just going to go into a shell and not say a word. Um, and I'll let everyone else 
speak. And what I've come to realize, and and I kind of came to realize this through therapy, is you know one of my skills um, and abilities to everyone thinks I'm an extrovert. That's that's what I've come to realize. Everybody thinks I'm an extrovert, but I've come to realize I'm very introverted. Um, I can be extroverted because I have this skill to listen to you, ask the correct follow-up questions, which makes it seem like I'm the one engaged in the conversation, but really you're the one talking the whole time. And so you think you're getting to know me. You think that I'm gregarious and charming, but I'm not saying anything of substance. And this isn't something that I'm proud of. This is something I'm realizing. And I step back sometimes. I'm like, I don't think they know anything about me. And I feel protected. I feel that I now almost have the upper hand of like, okay, they don't know any of my secrets or anything about me, but now I feel pretty confident I understand them, which isn't a fair two-way street, right? <laughs> like, I don't think that that's the way to be. Um, it's just kind of what I think my self-defense mechanism from, you know, an entire lifetime has has formed into. Um I don't think you can define what direction, you know, your personality is going to go. And it's it's going to be little perturbations along the road, the tiniest little, you know, pebble that you stumble on that that changes your trajectory trajectory by, you know, a couple of degrees is enough to completely change the direction of your entire life. Right. And. Yeah. And so I, I think therapy has been great. Um it is certainly expensive. <laughs> that is, that's one of those, that's one of those you have to just accept and just say, okay, the value of myself is, is more than the value of, you know, the dinner that I'd get instead. You know, I can get that dinner later on. On that note, I'm actually curious, like I want to posit it in like an interesting way. So, I mean, you know, we're both like doing decent in life and, and we, we have a family and we own homes. So there's like financial pressure to keep earning money, to keep that life, but we're not, you know, in over our heads, nor are we like super fabulous jet setting rich people. So what would be like the cutoff point where you would no longer be able to afford therapy? And I don't mean like literally a financial number. I'm more interested, like, would you take the bus every day to work and give up your car to keep doing therapy? Or like, 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 where do you kind of see how important it is in that kind of level? That's a great question. Okay. So I do love convenience, but convenience is really just a, a, I guess it's just earning your way out of hardship, right? And the earning your way out of hardship can be a personal reward to yourself. It, it shows that you've accomplished something. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people who eventually become middle class or, or rich, you know, start looking down upon, you know, the, the taking the bus. And it takes a certain sort of person who who's reached that level to finally say, like, no, but that's you you've earned this and you once did that. And once what you did actually cut your teeth, that's what made you who you're who you are. That's your actual personality, and you shouldn't soften up. So all that is to say, you know, if it was between self-betterment and you know, taking the bus, which is a perfect example, I think, then it would be hard. I'll be honest, because I do like that convenience. And once you have a kid and everything is easier, but at the same time, 
I used to take public transportation all the time. I would absolutely go back if it's to make my mind right, if it's to make me a better person. But I think being, you know, academically honest, it's not like it would be that like, absolutely, of course, I'll just give up all of these conveniences in life that I've earned along the way to make sure my, to make sure, uh, you know, I'm becoming a better person. We, we should be honest and be like that. That's going to be a little bit of a tough choice. <laughs> it's not going to be a guaranteed choice. Um, so I guess the, I guess the threshold would be, yeah, the bus that that's a, that's a minor inconvenience. If you have to start saying things like, I won't be able to pay for my car payment and therefore it's going to be more difficult for my son to get to school. Okay. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to, I might have to come back to therapy at a later date. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's the general, general threshold. No, that's great. That was a great answer. And I, I I'm really, I'm impressed. I'm, I was going to say proud of you, but that's a little weird. Like I'm just impressed because I think <laughs> it's hard. First of all, I am going to throw this out there. Yes, you're from Boston, and that's like a particularly famous example of what we're talking about, but it's pretty much just USA guy culture. Like, if I show up to your house to watch the game on Sunday and I start sharing my feelings, let alone oversharing, it's an embarrassment for everyone. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm saying that is totally status quo. So, like, I think we're in a new era where, oh, actually, maybe we're just getting older, where you start to realize, like, I can show up to those places and be fine, but I need a different place to share. So I am I am curious if you've learned from therapy, is there like a vulnerability you have that you should, and you don't have to say what it is, but that you should be sharing with your general friends? Or is it more that you're just learning about yourself and then you get better? I think being able to, able to speak uh, about my feelings out of myself is is kind of the number one thing I need to do to alleviate stress and, and, and relieve the pressure bomb that's constantly forming. Um, that is the pressure release. And it's something I'm, I'm distinctly incapable of doing. Um, so understanding myself more is, I mean, I guess that's the one B, right? But I think just being able to say, no, I, I don't feel okay with what this interaction just was. Because I, I do not like conflict. I am so against conflict. Um, and just being able to actually, you know, discuss conflict uh, in a not dude guy way, but in an, a meaningful way, discussing your actual feelings, like that is actually my number one goal. Um, and I think that's going to help out, you know, marital conflict, work conflict, interpersonal conflict. That's the only way to actually. Uh, you know, make yourself a better person within society is to be able to speak to these things. Um, understanding more my, about myself is naturally coming, just actually talking. So it, I think I would understand more about myself if I can learn how to have these, you know, more difficult discussions. So I'd say that is the number one goal. That's really cool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not jealous, but I'm like, you know, my ears are perking up because I've been really thinking about going to therapy recently and it's the same thing, dude. I like, I love my parents. They're awesome. I spend every Sunday with them. I go out and see them. I call them because I want to. Like, I, I would, like, invite my dad to go to something that I wouldn't invite some of my friends to go to. So, like, it's hard to admit that, like, yeah, but, like, you still have unresolved issues from your childhood. Like, it's not their fault, but, like, they were parents and you're a kid. And so, yeah, I think it's really cool to hear because uh, we're not... 
we don't share the same mind, but we're like-minded and I, you know, and I, I get along with you and I can see like how it can help. And especially when you talk about like conflict, cause that's something I'm, you know, I'm in conflict with an ex-wife who doesn't talk to me, which is a weird form of conflict. And then I'm constantly in conflict with like my ambitions versus like happiness and how like the two don't really seem to ever meet, you know, so you get what I'm getting at. Oh, ambitions, ambitions are, are, are the bane of my existence and they are my only existence. Okay. So now we are a lot more similar than I thought. (laughs) Oh yeah. And you know what I've come to find Mike is, is through therapy. That's, that's where I'm starting to understand. It doesn't have to be the, the old trope of, you know, my parents effed me up. I don't think it's, I don't think it is just that it's also circumstance. Right. And like for my situation, I was the youngest of four brothers and I, my parents were very, very lucky. We, we were all extremely intelligent and, and did great in school. And this formed this natural competition within the family. And it clearly messed up each brother along the way, you know, according to what position they were in the family and me being the youngest has impacted my ambition because nothing is ever enough. It always is. I accomplished this. Yeah, but my older brother did a little better on this one. But then a different older brother did a little better on this particular output. And then it's it's ending up in a situation where you have to be better than three you know, highly successful individuals in everything. And that's the way my mind started forming of Nothing is good enough because there still was something, someone I didn't beat. And I have to impress my parents and impress my family because being the youngest one, I don't have, you know, quite as much of a voice as everybody else. So I have to earn my voice by being just as good as them and really beating them. And it became competition. And that is what my entire life has now become. And I think I can step away from the competition aspect, but I can't step away from the ambition aspect and feeling that nothing is ever good enough. There's always some something I can do better to continue to prove myself. So that wasn't necessarily my parents. Um, I think they had very, very high expectations, which they had developed by having three successful you know, academically successful children before me. So, you know, they also are growing and experiencing things. You know, I'm the youngest of four brothers and we have a 14 year span between us. So the oldest brother has been, you know, is crushing it in, in high school when I'm still, you know, in diapers. So of course that was going to impact the way that they looked at how a child should perform, right? Because the first one did amazing. All of us should do amazing. And all of us are being impacted by our, our experiences, you know, at all moments. And as a result, you know, aligning all these different thoughts together so that we can all march forward perfectly, that doesn't actually happen. We're all having individual experiences that shape who we are. And it wasn't that my parents messed it up, not that your parents messed it up, but you were impacted by how you grew up. And that's the part that was like the eye-opening thing when I started therapy. I was like, "Oh, I actually did too." And it's like, of course, who, who am I? I'm not any better than any person. So of course, I was influenced by you know by my childhood. So it's been eye-opening for sure. 
that's no, that's crazy. And actually, it does segue nicely into like the focus of the podcast, which is how is your opinions or or thoughts on death affecting the way you live? And so I know to me, at least it's a good segue because we're talking about your childhood. And obviously early on, your parents were telling you philosophy or telling you a philosophy was wrong or just not giving you any philosophy. So I am curious, uh, A, you know, the basic question, what do you think happens when you die? But B, for you in this example, has that changed in your life? Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is great. This is great. Okay. Okay. The, the, has this changed in your life? That's the, that's the really interesting part. And I'd say, yes, it absolutely, it absolutely has changed. All right. So let's step back a little bit. I grew up in Boston and I was the you know youngest kid, as I just said, in a family of all of us went into some form of science. So we all are scientists and engineers. Uh, my mom was a nurse. So also in a you know technical field. So as I was growing up, I was in Boston and I was part of the uh, Roman Catholic Church, as is obviously extremely huge in Boston. And I was growing up there in the 90s. And that just happened to be the time that the uh, pedophilia rings started becoming very known. And it became that Boston sort of was the epicenter in the U.S. of of these events. And I was lucky. I, I did not have any direct interactions, but I was going to CCD. I was going to, um, which is the equivalent of Sunday school. Um, I was, you know, getting confirmed. I was doing all of these different things that, that one does growing up in the Catholic church. And I was lucky. I did not um, have any uh, direct contact with with anyone who was part of this that's not i didn't have any nefarious direct contact i absolutely had direct contact with someone who who was accused and eventually uh removed from the church um and he was sort of my favorite one my favorite priest at at our church and he was a lot of people's favorite priest and it wasn't just our church it was a lot of churches in the archdiocese, hardest word to say in the world, um, of Boston, we we all, you know, this happened to a lot of us where, you know, your favorite priest was removed. So I lost all faith in that organization. Uh, every ounce of faith that I could lose in the organization, I did. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I still had to, like, finish getting confirmed. <laughs> There's a historical... Uh, uh, a hysterical example when I was in, well, I don't know, eighth grade, when you're coming up to confirmation, um, we had to write an essay and everyone wrote their essay, you know, about like what God means to you or whatever. And everyone's mailing in. They're not doing anything. No one wants to write an essay for CCD. They have work, uh, uh, work at a school to do. So you're not going to do any, any work for, you know, Sunday school. But I wrote like a 20 page essay and it was called Papal Fallibility. And it was about all of the corruptions of the Catholic Church through the, throughout the previous 2000 years. And it's been corrupt the entire way. Now, I am not trying to be inflammatory about this. Certain things are factual. One that is factual is that the Roman Catholic Church has had a corruption issue for two millennia. 
the level of examples are uh, overwhelming of this because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Everyone knows that. And the Roman Catholic Church for a very long period of time had absolute power. And there has not been an example of someone or some entity that's had absolute power who has not broke bad at some point. I'm getting into all this because, you know, I lost all faith in faith completely. And I broke fully towards science. I'm a man of science and science is the truth. And, you know, I think that might have been based on some shock and hurt because of what I had experienced through the church in Boston. And it's such a horrifying thing to occur and so disgusting. And I'm just like, here's just another example of everything that's wrong with organized religion. And I lumped it all in. Not just the Catholic Church anymore. I'm going all organized religion. And I'm saying this is the source of all, yeah, this is the source of all warfare. This is the source of all unhappiness. All conflict is coming from organized religion. And that, what that is, is, you know, being a teenager and, and going, you know, black or white and not seeing the spectrum of gray, right? And especially when you're dealing with religion, <laughs> it is it is mostly gray. Um, okay, so now I've made a decision that all organized religion is wrong. All of it is corrupt. I'm a man of science. Science is truth. Okay, so then I hold that for a decade, at least. and And, you know, I get my chemical engineering degree and I learn more about science and it, and it becomes even more clear to me. It wasn't until after I graduated that I actually started pulling back on this love. And here's my stance at the moment. I would call myself agnostic at this point rather than atheist. And once again, everybody is entitled to their own belief system and opinions and it is their right. And one could say God-given right, I'm not going to say God-given right in this particular context, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at least in the org at least in the country we're in, this should be a freedom that we have. But we should have the right to that belief system. My stance on it at this juncture is that none of these organized religions are correct, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, what do I mean by that? I think you've had extraordinarily brilliant people throughout millennia. Um, We've always had beliefs in something bigger, but those beliefs are wildly different from each other. You know, between having, you know, Greek gods in the sky battling over us, you know, to one single entity that, depending on the religion, can be considered as being the same or not the same. If you're talking about God or Allah, you have situations where you have, you know, Confucius or, or Buddha, like, all of these are totally legitimate people to believe in. Absolutely. And if you believe in the tenets that they are teaching, then I think it's very important to live your life by such tenets if they are making your life happier and they're making you a better person. But the actual entity itself, I think it's just complete human hubris to think we have any idea. And I think it's totally selfish to say I'm the right one and all these other 7 billion people who don't believe in me or what I believe in are the wrong ones. That is truly arrogant 
So I do not abide by any organized religion. However, it actually is now science that's made me say, oh, wait, maybe there is something a little more here. Because all the time at this point, we discover things that push the limits of the reality we understand. And it's becoming abundantly clear that what we see is absolutely not the whole story. There's going to be two major driving factors of the entire universe that we cannot measure. And we, we can only infer that it's there. That's dark matter and dark energy. The universe cannot exist in the way that it does if both of these forces, varying forces, one is, one is quite literally a mass and one is an energy, were not working in conjunction in the background, in the fabric of the universe. That's the reason that the, the universe isn't collapsing upon itself. But how are the galaxies actually creating this web within the universe where there's areas of higher concentration of stars and lower concentration of stars? Well, that all relates to dark energy. We can't measure these. All we can do is infer what is occurring. We're lucky we can even do that. But there are two foundational aspects of the entire universe that is driving the way that the universe is actually operating that cannot be measured. It must be there. So now that makes me say something along the lines of like, okay, there's there's yet another layer that we can't see or at least at this point understand, but it's there. So that's telling me, okay, there's a lot more than meets the eye. So something like an all-powerful entity that created everything could seem more uh, possible. But at the same time, I, I don't actually particularly think it is one's great entity with, you know, a personality associated with it. I actually think that there could be a fabric of energy that we all dissipate to upon death. Is the soul intact is the question. And something within another tenet of the universe is that uh, information cannot be destroyed. It can be transformed. This is another tenet of the universe. Energy will be in several different forms. And there's way more than you can think of. It's more than just potential and kinetic. And there's several different forms of energy and energy states. But it's always conserved. You can always balance it. Information does the same thing. At the edges of the universe, at the extremes, you start breaking down the general rules that you've created. And we do this over and over again. Einstein broke uh, Newtonian physics with relativistic physics. And both are absolutely unequivocally true at this point. And we need to learn to connect those dots. And each time we connect the dot, there's another new thing we figure out that's like, okay, wow, let's add that into the list of, of unbelievable things that we're learning about our universe. So all this is to say, I could see the soul being information. We exist not as physical objects, but our consciousness does exist. We have a, I'm not even going to say brain, because the brain is also another physical object. There's something that makes our personality. So is that really information coded in energy? I currently would say yes, it would be released into the ether. My opinion, based on scientific understanding, it takes a lot of energy to maintain form. And that's what the entire basis of entropy which usually is considered the concept of working towards chaos. That's, that's a simplistic way to think of it, but it's, a, it's the most straightforward way to think about it, is that the universe will always progress towards chaos. That's because maintaining form takes energy. Yeah.
I would love feedback from my audience because I followed you all along that journey and I loved it. And it was like very precise. And I think there's so much like wisdom in the science meets philosophy part of it. You really eloquently explained so much in that answer. I appreciate that. And isn't that such a a beautiful end result is that we all dissipate into effectively with this concept I'm building, effectively one soul, one underlying energy. And there are underlying energies in this universe. You know, the microwave background is one example of it. This concept of an unseen energy that represents the souls of all living things. And I guess that would be beyond the conscious living things. I I would argue that every, you know, tree that died and every piece of algae under the sea that died also would join this blanket of energy that's across the entire universe. And that would also mean in this context, which I think is very, very important, is every alien race that there is no statistical possibility that we aren't just rife with life in this universe is also part of this blanket of energy, this background of energy that exists everywhere all at once. That is totally beautiful. And I love the Fermi paradox is like something I'm uh, more than obsessed with now, especially with like what the government's released. I I just think most people don't think a scientist is going to come on my show and then proceed to explain how science is making him warm and gushy and like thinking that we're all souls going to combine in energy. And I think that's a beautiful philosophy. And uh, I'm so thankful you shared it. You actually got us from like the self and psychology and seeing a therapist and real world problems moved it seamlessly into science and space and Catholicism. And so at the end of this podcast, my brain is not dizzy. It's the opposite. I feel like there was actually like a coherent uh, narrative that went through. So I I cannot thank you enough. (laughs) I could have talked for hours. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Anthony, for coming on the show. And to all of the people listening at home, the best way to support the show is to rate us positively on Apple and or Spotify and to subscribe for free at MikeyOp.com, M-I-K-E-Y opp.com to the essay and podcast uh, comes out once a week and uh, I hope you really think about what he said that maybe we're all from one source and eventually going to return to that source but you can do great things while you're in the form part of all that and I hope you do and my name is Mike Oppenheim you've been listening to Coffin Talk and we will see you soon